Hi, this is Joe Rand. I'm excited I may be coming to your home soon. For 25 years, you have been coming to Inman Connect. Now, Connect is coming to you. Find details at Inman.com. This is Brad Inman with my Daily Dispatch. I'm super excited today to have a friend, longtime colleague, Spencer Raskoff, who has uh, been big part of shaking up the real estate industry and the real estate market and the consumer experience for almost, I guess, 15 years, was part of the whole launch founder group at Zillow and uh, has done so much part of that, a great career in travel. And now Spencer's all doing all kinds of new things that we're going to hear about. Welcome, Spencer. How are you? Excellent. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, for the discussion. Now, you're holed up in L.A., right? I am. Um, I'm locked down in L.A. I was, I was early to, to quarantine. Um, and um, it's been um, you know, a lot of family time. Um, and um, it's, But I'm happy and healthy and safe and sane. So all those important things are taken care of, which is fortunate. You were always on the road a lot, right? Back in the day. I mean, uh, is this? Uh, it's a big change. Yeah. This, this is the longest I haven't been on an airplane in, I think, ever. You know, like like dating back to twenty three years. This is the, oh, the wow. you know I haven't been on an airplane in almost three months, and and I, that hasn't been that way in 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 decades for me. Hey, let's look at travel. I've been saying it after this is over. Business travel is going to really not only is office space going to change, but why would I go to that? Yeah, development meeting. I we're learning so many ways not to travel. The Zoom market cap is greater than all the six biggest airlines now. What what what's going to happen to business travel? Is that going to be a big blow to the stomach of uh, of, of travel? I, I think that this is going to be one of the most interesting permanent changes from coronavirus is a, a step down reduction in business travel not not cataclysmic but you know a good probably 10 percent step down and it'll just sort of stay at that level and the reason is you know video conferencing has been around for a long time but it was always considered um rude to video conference into a meeting and right. so you know i made tons of day trips to new york for example just take a red eye from the west coast to new york do three meetings and then fly back west or day trips to San Francisco for three or four meetings. Um, and if historically, if you had been the person that videoed into that, it would have been very rude. But now I think that will be culturally accepted. And, um, you know, for me, I'm going to be going to those capitals, those tech capitals and fundraising capitals quite a bit less uh, going forward. And I think permanently. Yeah. Now you've got a great grasp of real estate. And as you know, this audience is big real estate. That's kind of, those are mm -hmm. my people. Um, so we see it in maybe office changes in how we work. We're seeing it in uh, potentially travel. Any big things in real estate that you think might stick after this that are that fundamental or is it more on the margins like virtual showings, which certainly is a big deal, but not as big as say half of business travel being. Well, the, the, I think the big question in residential is to what extent will people want to live outside of busy city centers to have a little bit more physical space from others and a little bit more of a, of a sense of nesting and a haven and kind of feel sort of protected um, by living, you know, having an extra 20 minute commute so they can have a slightly bigger lot and maybe not live in a townhouse or an apartment, but live in, in a single family home. And the big wild card for me is self-driving cars. And, mm -hmm. you know, nobody really knows if they're gonna happen or not, um, but if they really happen in the next say five plus years, 
then I think you're going to see a lot more sprawl because if I only have to commute into the city, say two days a week, because I can video conference two or three days a week, and that hour commute is productive because I'm in a self-driving car, well, then all of a sudden I don't mind living an hour away from downtown. In fact, I want to live an hour away from downtown because I can have more space and more security. So uh, the combination of these trends from coronavirus plus video conferencing plus self-driving cars, I think will push people out to the out to the suburbs and um, and contribute to sprawl. But you know, if, if self-driving cars is you know, 20 years further out than, than some think, then maybe that trend will take a long time to materialize. Yeah, and I think also maybe in that vein, I thought of something today. We have a house, single family house. We thought of renting it. And because it's a single family house, even though it's tinier, tinier than the apartment we had in New York City, it's a tiny house. But the fact it's single family, our realtor said that housing type, whatever, how big or small, suddenly has a certain appeal. So there probably are some things in consumer behavior, right? Yeah, I, I, th I mean, I, I, if you look to 9-11, which is, is not a perfect analogy, but there are certainly some similarities. After 9-11, people wanted to nest. You know, they wanted to find safety. And I think that post-coronavirus, it will be even more so. And there will be a premium ascribed to single family as compared with multifamily. Um, because of that, because people are just going to want distance from others and for sanitation, hygiene. Uh, we've all become germaphobes in a very short period of time. Yeah. Uh, and, gates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that puts a premium on single family. Um, of course, just as I mentioned, one wild card, which is self-driving cars, the other wild card is going to be the recession. Because if this ends up becoming a very serious recession slash you know, depression, knock on wood, that it, it doesn't, um, then that's going to obviously push pe more people towards renting than buying because it's going to be very difficult for people to afford down payments and uh, take the risk of, of buying a home. So the general economic outlook will probably drive a lot of the impact on real estate, even more so than coronavirus in particular. You know, I was talking to someone the other day. Well, Pete, Flint, you remember Pete. He was your competitor. You and him. Of course. Oh, and, uh, competitor turned partner, friend, board member, and, and now I'm an investor in his venture capital fund. There you go. So uh, yeah, one big, beautiful <laughs> circle of life and love and business. Uh, exactly. The thing he and I were talking about is, I was thinking back to 9, 10, 11, you were in the heat of battle, he was in the heat of battle, but the legacy industry was on its heels, the broker owners. And I think before you came on the scene, you and Pete, if you looked up the top websites for consumer traffic, up there in the top were the traditional brands. They were Remax, Century 21, um, all these other brands. And while on the business side, you may have taken on the newspapers, the reality is that was a great opportunity when Realty and the rest of the gang were on their heels for you all to come in there and grab share. See anything like that here? Any, and do I yeah. have my facts right? And, and what, what might happen here either in startup land or the established portals or, you know, the yeah. mature kind any, any, any indication there? You, you do have your facts right. What, ha what tends to happen during periods of upheaval is disruptors, if they have enough cash runway to exist, to, to, to make it through the other side, disruptors tend to gain more share. And there are a couple of reasons for it. Number one, uh, consumer behavior is generally up for grabs. So uh, people change their habits through disruption. Like right now, people are uh, consuming more streaming content and um, not going to movie theaters. And that might end up 
shifting share towards consuming more entertainment at home than in theaters permanently. People are trying more exercise classes online rather than in in-person gyms. And once coronavirus passes, perhaps that will become a permanent change. So consumer behavior changes during these periods of disruption, and that presents an opportunity for disruptors and business behavior changes during this disruption. So in the case of 2008, for example, the financial crisis, businesses, notably real estate agents, started advertising more online and not, not offline. And small businesses like real estate brokerages started moving their listings online. So there was upheaval on the consumer side and on the business side. Did they side. do that because of the financial crisis to save money or did more uh, exactly for, ROI, better results? What was that? Uh, the, the brokerages moved their listings online, um, not really to save money, but just to try to sell houses. So yeah. they, they just wanted distribution for their product, which were listings. And so when Zillow asked in 2007, 2008, hey, do you want to put your listings for free on our website? It's got a lot of traffic. Brokerages were pretty open to that. And likewise, my prior startup with Hotwire in 2001 after 9-11, the hotels embraced online travel agencies like Expedia and Hotwire because they needed distribution for their products through that recession. So disruptors generally benefit because of changing consumer behavior and business behavior. Now here in coronavirus, um, I, I think you'll have some of the same dynamics at work where I, I tend to think that discount brokerages are going to do quite well coming out of this. I think that disruptive franchisor models or brokerage models are going to do very well and gain Would a lot of- that be like share. Redfin and Compass, you think, or? Um, well, I think Redfin will end up doing very well and, and gain share, gain brokerage share coming out of the recession because they have a lot of consumer audience at the top of the funnel. And that they will be able to direct those leads to either their own employee agents or other agents. And as long as they have enough cash to survive that market share than they otherwise would have had were it not for this recession. The yeah. franchisor, the brokerage disruptors that I'm, that I'm alluding to, who I also think will have advantages, are companies like EXP um, yeah. that are disruptive in terms of the uh, fees that they charge to their own agents and the services that they provide to their own agents and the cost structure that they have in order to provide that service to their own, their own agents. Those are all very disruptive as compared with traditional brokerage models. And I think that those disruptive brokerage models will gain share through this downturn as well. What do you think about the, the old traditional broker models? Or some people just don't come through this. I'm sure you saw that in travel. I'm sure you saw that with Zillow in 2008 or 10, without naming names, if you want to name them. But uh, <laughs> anybody that you think types of companies that could potentially go away. I mean, some say the big survive because they consolidate and bigger gets bigger. Others say boutique real estate brokers are, you know, better positioned to be agile. It's all kind of high level BS, but what do you think? I think that uh, traditional brokerages have had a difficult time over the last decade of maintaining and articulating their value proposition to their customers, who, which is their real estate agents. And um, that, th that will get even more difficult through this downturn. So they're going to have to work harder to demonstrate value to their agents, whether it be through the branding benefits that they offer to agents who are at one of those agencies or the lead generation benefits or the technology benefits or the sense of community or whatever it is that's their value prop to their own agents. They're going to have to work even harder because... Um, Agents have a lot of, of options, a lot of alternatives on, um, you know, on brokerages that they can work for. Gotcha. Let's move into an area you're, you're, you've gotten into. Um, and full disclosure, I invested in one of your new enterprises, which I 
was so excited about when I saw it, having lived in Southern California, I thought it was brilliant and also something I think you could roll out around the country. But tell us about your escapades into the media biz and what you've learned about that. And also I'd love your color commentary on the media. How, how are we doing in this, this <laughs> world we live in and how might the pandemic influence media in a good or bad way? Hi, this is Sherry Chris. I'm excited to be coming to your home soon. For 25 years, you have been coming to Inman Connect. Now Connect is coming to you. Find out details at Inman.com. Yeah, so I started a business called Dot LA, D-O-T period LA, which is a media site to cover the LA tech community. And I was really inspired by Inman News, actually. What Inman is to digital real estate, Dot LA aims to be to the LA tech community. Uh, there's a lot going on in LA in tech. This is my hometown. Uh, there are founders and angels and unicorns and uh, venture capitalists and incubators and startup studios. And yet there was really no journalism covering LA tech. So for Los Angeles to achieve its full potential as a tech capital, which I think is its destiny, uh, I really wanted to provide journalism to shine a light on all this innovation and tell the stories of great companies and great entrepreneurs that are building businesses in LA. Um, and, um, and so what I raised a point been Spencer. Is it good? Um, what is the, what is the reception been? Yeah. The, uh, you know, by the potential reader, are you, are you, is there a reader base there? You're, you're there is, right? there is, um, hundreds of thousands of visitors a month are reading dot LA. It's in just three months, it's become the most widely read news service covering LA tech. Um, the online, the webinars that we've been doing, the podcasts, the online articles have all been really well received, and we're drowning in story ideas. You know, we have a newsroom of 10, which to put that in, in, um, in perspective, the LA Times has one tech reporter, Bloomberg has one tech reporter, TechCrunch has one LA tech reporter. So not LA has 10x the, the editorial capacity of anyone else, and yet we have dozens of more stories a day, story ideas a day than we have capacity to cover. Um, so I'm very encouraged by that. And um, we, by the have, way, as an editor or publisher, I guess as a publisher, do you, when you see that, do you go deep and expand that coverage? Or have you thought, you know, you know, I was involved with Lockhart Steel at Curb and the gang, uh, Josh Alberts and all who are at Inman now. But, you know, Josh, or pardon me, Lock started initially as a blogger in New York City. And then we expanded to the 20 largest markets, basically taking that template. Um, and you know, that worked out really well. What do you, what do you, what, what do you imagine here? And then let's talk generally about media to bring this home to real estate. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, we may expand LA to other cities. We haven't decided yet. Um, for now, we're just trying to see if we can get the recipe right in Los Angeles and then we'll evaluate expanding. Um, <clears throat> and, um, the gold standard in the tech journalism space is a company called GeekWire, which covers Seattle tech really successfully. And actually GeekWire invested in the .LA round, which was important for us to have their support and, and their counsel. Um, great, by the way, they do a great job. They do. And, and really, I mean, .LA, as I say, is, is really, um, if you took Inman News and merged it with GeekWire and put it in L.A., that's what I'm trying to do with .LA. Um, okay. I, 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 I saw what an impact Inman News had on Zillow's growth. You know, the coverage, and it wasn't always favorable coverage over the 15 years I was there, but, um, but the coverage, favorable or unfavorable, um, told the story of Zillow. It helped us communicate to the industry and to our partners, and it, it kept us on our toes. It made us a better company. It made us build better products. 
And it played a really important role, as did GeekWire, in Zillow's growth. And I want to do that with .LA for the dozens of, of future Zillows that are being built here in Los Angeles. Tell me this, Spencer. You were on the other side of the media. Now you are the media. What have you? What was a couple of the surprises when you actually <laughs> a media company? Did you have more uh, sympathy for? Uh, so I always tell this story. It's like my dad. He owned his own small retail stores, and when he moved to California, he, he started working for someone else part time. And he went for. He said, "Brad, I, I was used to be a Republican. Now I'm a Democrat." Now that I'm <laughs> what, what yeah. have you learned here? I, I mean, I um. Uh, it, the, the biggest thing that we, I think we struggle with and I struggle with is striking the right balance on objectivity and, and positivity. So the reason yeah, I yeah. started .LA was to try to help the LA tech community. And that, however, that doesn't always mean building it up. That also means calling balls and strikes. And so we've had a number of articles. For example, we wrote a pretty critical article about how Bird conducted its layoffs. Um, they were done clumsily and um, uh, were were not properly communicated to and, and felt they weren't treated fairly. And .LA wrote all that. And um, some folks weren't so happy with, with how that was reported. Um, and yet it was an important story to tell. It probably will impact the way dozens of other companies treat employees during this downturn. So I think the greater good was served. But, um, you know, some, some uh, feathers were ruffled in that coverage. And I, as publisher, um, just as you as publisher, I maintain an arm's length uh, relationship from the editorial side. I, I don't have, any, intentionally do not have editorial oversight or control um, because I want to be a, an angel investor in the LA tech community. I am an investor in a number of these companies. And um, so I want the newsroom to be independent. But that is a very hard, it's a fine line and... Uh, striking the right balance between positivity and objectivity is tricky. Yeah, well, you you just you just summarized it very well. I feel like that's my life's work. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and especially now, you know, it's uh, we've leaned into serving our readers, which I think we always do. But I would say our number one approach in the past was biz and tell. So they're you know keeping abreast of the news, and now we're kind of in full service mode to help our readers get through it. And that's kind of a new a new angle for us. We always had service journalism, but it's a different type of service journalism. Yes. Tell me about, you, you're working on other ventures. What, what do you see out there that, where you see a need or some other things that you, you would like to pursue? And, and by the way, will you ever get back into the saddle and be a founder and a CEO? Maybe. Or um, are you done with that? You're so no, I don't, I don't think I am. I mean, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm starting multiple companies. And, um, you know, I've started two companies as chairman and co-founder um, with two great CEOs. One is .LA, which we discussed. The other is a company I haven't announced yet. And um, I intend to start companies three, four, and five with other co-founders and CEOs. Um, and it's possible that I'll be CEO of something again. For now, I'm, you know, the CEO of a of a holding company, if you will, which is a, a really a startup incubator. I'm a very active angel investor also. I have over 50 angel investments. I've made six angel investments in the last six weeks. So I'm putting a lot of money to work it, through this downturn because that's it's a great time to invest. It's a great time to be a startup. Um, and, um, and, and I, you know, I might be CEO of something again, but for now, I really love the early stage startup um, time of a company's ideation, when you're trying to find product market fit, you're iterating really quickly. Um, 
And the, the couple of reasons why it's such an exciting time to start companies. Number one, so much of technology is now kind of modularized and therefore you're able to get going more quickly. I, I think for example, around just .LA, like within, I don't know, two or three weeks, we had all of these building blocks in place that when we were starting Zillow 15 years earlier, took us three months, you know, six months maybe. Everything from, from payroll to, you know, design, design resources to building out a first version of the website. I mean, you can do all of this stuff through different services now. Workplace collaboration, you know, some combination of Gusto, Slack, Trello, Asana, AWS, and, you know, um, Squarespace, Wix, you know, and like, boom, you've got a company. Um, and that didn't used to be possible. So someone like me with a lot of ideas and a lot of people that I want to collaborate with, can spin up a lots of different companies uh, in a pretty short period of time. Yeah, that's it's really so true. Let me ask you one thing, Spencer. You're I always view you as a long-term player. Your horizon, your thinking, and I, I as part of that, I was impressed that you built such immense loyalty um, amongst your team. People that worked with you in the brokerage community. When you left, there was like, you know, a cry fest amongst so many you know people who ordinarily would be afraid of zillow or wringing their hands or screaming or screeching about zillow just a really outpouring and that was you know very natural and the team you brought together they're with you a long time and stuck together but one of the things i'll never forget which to me really uh, pointed to your to your approach to building loyalty was when and it had to be one of the hardest times for you you tell me what was i'd be curious uh, the highs and lows but when you hired Errol um, away from Realtor.com and you got sued, you might have had a moment there when you wanted to just throw Errol off the boat and get rid of that. Um, <laughs> but you didn't. And, yeah. you know, you paid mightily for it, but you were willing. That was a pretty expensive price tag for loyalty that I saw you do. And I was like, wow, that. I, th I know it was more complex. Than yeah, that. no, you're right. It, it definitely tried me as a leader and as a manager, um, you know, and uh, um, uh, let's see, you know, you bring up old battle scars. Um, you know, I'm very, very proud of the employee culture that we created at Zillow and the loyalty that the team had to one another and that I had to my team and the team had to me. Um, and, you know, in the case of hiring Errol and Kurt, um, they were great hires and they, you know, they were terrific and still are terrific employees. And, um, you know, I have no regrets, even though you're right, we were sued by a competitor and it was a messy lawsuit and it resulted in a, a very hefty settlement. Um, and I lost a lot of sleep and a lot of hair over it. Uh, it was still the right thing to do. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that, um, I would have done it this knowing what I know now, I would have done all the same, made all the same decisions all over again, believe it or not. Um, yeah. I think it's a lesson for leaders, you know, that's, um, and it's funny, you know, I brought this back. I, I finally watched Succession, which is the, the fictional <laughs> version of the Murdochs. And there's some scenes in there where they, they start suing each other and, uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of a dark comment. I don't know what it is, but, uh, it, last night I was saying, yeah, that's kind of sounds like what happened. It's yeah. It's a great show. It's a great show. And, and, uh, you in know, a way it's kind of fun. It, it took a Murdoch. I don't think the old realtor.com would have come in like, like Murdoch did, but he was used to those kind of battles, right? Um, you're, you're right. The chronology was actually, we were, we were sued by move before news Corp bought move and then news sort of inherited it. 
And I think we probably were, you know, optimistic that maybe that would that would open a window for it to go away. And and on the contrary, news, you know, the Murdochs and news sort of doubled down on on their allegations. It got it got a little messy. But I didn't mean to bring uh, up an old wound, but at, I guess my point is to the entrepreneurs out there starting companies. You're seasoned. You've been through it all. Like you said, dot com financial collapse, pandemics, management changes. You know all of this. Um, I guess the lessons, I mean, business is never just consistently perfect, right? No matter how hard you work and how great the PowerPoint or the presentation, business is ups and downs and it's how you tackle it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I listened to a great podcast the other day with the founders of Instagram and, you know, they made the point, I think it's a great one, which is everybody remembers the successes. You know, people talk about Instagram building out stories or um, changing, you know, making AI driven changes to the news feed, which drove more engagement. Um there are hundreds of failures that nobody remembers uh, at Instagram. And the same could be said for Zillow. It looks like to the outside, maybe it looks like this kind of rocket ship at a, you know, straight up and to the right, but there were 10 failures for every success. And, um, uh, and, and the successes wouldn't have been as successful or as um, enjoyable were it not for all those failures. So entrepreneurs, you know, uh, stay strong. <laughs> um, uh, failure is failure is just something that happens along the way on its on your way towards success. There you go. Well, you've been great for the real estate community. You contributed so much to changing it. Any last word for the Inman community, uh, coronavirus, or anything else moving forward? I mean, I love the real estate industry, and I love the community of people in real estate. Um, like the hotel and travel industry, which was where I was before Zillow and real estate. Um, it's a community of entrepreneurial people that really care about community and care about one another. And they're entrepreneurial small business owners. That's really what real estate agents are who care about the people in their community that, um, and they thrive on connection. And so in this, in this time where virtual connection is all we can have and coming out on the other side of it, where we're all trying to rebuild our businesses, I'm really optimistic about the real estate industry and the entrepreneurialism and community-driven culture helping real estate recover. And I look forward to staying a part of that in one way or another, either as an investor or just being involved in other ways. So thanks to you, Brad, for what you do to bring the real estate industry together and you know, stay strong, everybody. Stay safe. This is Brad Inman checking out.